0: welcome to the Storytellers Live podcast, where everyday women share real and personal stories of encounters with God. I'm your host, Robin, and I'm here with Dawn, Katie, and Lindy. And at Storytellers Live, our prayer is that you would meet God in a new way through these stories, that you would know that you're not alone, and that walls would be broken down and community would be built. Today is Eva from KD, Texas. Well, Robin, you of
1: all people know that the path of adoption is never an easy road to walk. But um, for Eva, it was an especially difficult one, um, filled with many disappointments, many detours. Uh, But in the end, she shares how God can give us the desires of our hearts once we submit our plans to Him and trust that His timing is perfect.
0: And you'll hear a little bit of sound difference today. We actually recorded Eva's story during the quarantine. And so if you hear a, a little glitch here and there, just know that we had to record that online but we really appreciate her story and love it and wanted to share with you so here's Eva we have a fun question for you if you had an extra two hours every day for the next week what would you do? Hmm, I think I'm going (laughs) sleep. Yes. Do you envision yourself being more productive or relaxing or getting to that personal hobby that you've never had time for? Yeah, maybe, maybe. Relaxing. This sounds like a dream, but actually we can make it a reality for women around the world. It's
2: estimated that women and girls spend over 200 million hours every single day
0: walking to gather water, water that is often unsafe and harmful to drink. No, it's so it's so hard to imagine, uh, and we, that's why we're so proud, to partner with Neverthirst. They're working in some of the most difficult regions on our planet to restore hours back to women and girls and build clean water projects in their communities. We invite you to partner with Women
2: in Need, giving $25 a month, or even $250 a month opens the door to equip families with access to clean and living water. Join their giving community today at neverthirstwater.org backslash storytellers, or visit the link in our show notes. Join us in partnering with Neverthirst.
3: Ladies, I just want to give a huge shout out to storytellers for opening this platform for us to come and share our stories of all that Jesus has done in our lives. For y'all that don't know, my name is Eva Heyer. I was born on September 8th, 1963 in Hearn, Texas in the hospital right across the street from my grandmother's house. Both my mom and my dad came from large families, so I had lots of relatives. It was very common for all of our family to meet after Mass at my grandmother's house on Sunday afternoon, where she would serve fresh homemade bread, fried chicken, and spaghetti. And holidays were a super big deal. Tons of food, people, and fun. I remember feeling loved and treasured as a child, especially by both of my grandmothers. Sadly, by the age of seven, I'd lost all of my grandparents. At that time, we moved from the family farm into my grandparents' house in town. I lived within six blocks of a slew of aunts, uncles, and cousins. Little did I know at the time, but it was the idyllic environment. It was the 70s, so I could ride my bike all over the neighborhood and stop at my cousin's or friend's house. We used to play outside until dark. No fear, no worries. The only difficulty I remember as a young child is that in my first grade, teacher realized I couldn't hear. In fact, I had been reading lips for years. I was diagnosed with fluid in my ears and over the course of seven years, had 13 operations to insert tubes in my ears. Having this difficulty at such an early age turned out to be a blessing as it forced me to be a really good listener and a strong student. My dad had always encouraged me to dream big and that I could be whatever I wanted to be. My mom suggested that I pursue education. So being the firstborn, that's what I did. I continually strived for perfection as I didn't want to disappoint my parents. Plus, I enjoyed success. In school, I was super involved. I joined the band in seventh grade and was a twirler. The next year, I became a cheerleader and cheered through 11th grade. In 12th grade, I decided to make a change and tried out for drum major. My good friend and I had a blast leading the band. I was in a ton of clubs and even was Miss Texas Teenage Library Association in 1982. I was valedictorian in my graduating class and I had only one goal, was time to get out of her. Regarding Jesus, I was a cradle Catholic. I received first holy communion in second grade and and was told it would be the first time that I would be able to wear a veil. The second time would be if I got married. Prior to receiving communion, I had to go to confession. I've never been so intimidated by a sliding window in my life and overwhelmed with the thought that I might have forgotten to confess something. In sixth grade, I was confirmed and told I would be a soldier of Christ. Specifically, I was told that I would carry around a shield of faith and a sword of of Christ. I had zero clue what the priest was talking about. All along, I was going to church every Sunday, catechism every Monday afternoon, receiving communion, and going to confession, but really not understanding anything and definitely not walking in freedom. It was all about following rules. It was about doing this and doing that. I was taught that God was good and Jesus was great, but there was still so much I had to do if I wanted to go to heaven. I was also taught to have fear, both in life and in death. What this meant as a teenager is that I was scared to death of messing up. I lived in a constant state of fear and obedience. I was known around town as the good girl. I didn't smoke, drink, swear, or do drugs, but oh, how I could judge others. Despite my good behavior, I always felt empty inside, like there was more to this life than all of this. In my young adult mind, I thought moving to the city might help, but first I needed to get an education, so off to Texas A&M I went. Before I started college, I attended fish camp and met my first college friend, Kim. She was so on fire for Jesus and so full of joy. Kim was the first person who ever mentioned to me that I could have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. She gave me this cassette tape by Michelle Pilar and asked that I listen to it. There was this one song that seemed so strange to me. It was entitled, More Than Just a Man. I could not grasp my mind around the fact that Jesus loved me and had already done everything for me. All I needed to do was rest in Him. Are you kidding me? Rest? I had rules to follow. I continued attending the Catholic Church while in college and was super involved in the Newman Club, which is the equivalent of the Baptist Student Union. I continued to hang out with friends I mostly met at church, still being a super good girl, just really bored. One Sunday, I convinced a girlfriend to go with me to check out the church that Kim attended. Both of us really liked it, especially the music and the message. But because we had been taught that it was wrong to go to other churches, we went to mass together that evening. You see, it was all about rules, not relationship. While in college, I looked for significance in having good grades and a steady boyfriend. In fact, I had several steady boyfriends, one for over two years. I thought we would get married once we graduated, but I was wrong. I did succeed in getting my bachelor's and master's degree while at A&M, so all was not lost. I can't tell you how happy I was to get my first big job in Houston. I began working for Crawford and Company as a counselor, helping people with disabilities return to work. I loved the job. It was hard to make friends because everyone was so much older than me in their 30s and 40s. I had no friends in Houston and only one cousin. I was so very alone. I did start listening to KSBJ and loved it. It's a local Christian uh, radio channel. It was wonderful. Little did I know what plan God had in store for me. On Cinco de Mayo Day, 1988, my cousin called and invited me to hang out with her at a local bar. I declined saying I just felt like going for a walk. I was walking in my neighborhood when this cute guy with turquoise shorts and a bright yellow shirt passed me. He said hello and I said hello back. I kept walking when all of a sudden I hear these footsteps running behind me. All I could think is, oh no, this is the rapist my mother warned me about. <laughs> Right when I was going to turn around, he stopped and said, hello, my name is Bobby. To hear Bobby's side of the story is quite funny. He kept repeating in his mind, should I stop? No. Should I stop? No. And without his full revelation, his feet stopped. We both looked back on this time and realized it was a complete Holy Spirit moment because he was super shy and would have never just stopped and introduced himself. We started to hang out and had fun hiking and exploring Houston together. Quite unexpectedly, Bobby proposed to me on Labor Day that same year, and we were married exactly a year and and a day after we met at St. Mary's Catholic Church in Hearn, Texas, with half the town there. Our early married years were so much fun. We built a house in 1990, got pregnant in 91, had our first son in 92. Life was incredibly good and full. Bobby and I were both enjoying our jobs and loved our little family so much. We were, however, still trying to figure out the church thing. For a while, Bobby went to my church, the Catholic Church, and then I attended his church, which was the Lutheran Church. Um, we both became so fresh, frustrated because we both couldn't participate in their services. We then made a decision that as adults, we should find a church together and join the local Methodist Church. For the first time in our relationship, we were in both in agreement on our church attendance, which was super nice. In the summer of 1994, I felt the Lord prompting me to leave my secure, steady job and start my own part-time vocational rehabilitation practice. So I took a leap of faith on July 1st, 1994. I hung out my shingle, so to speak. I had one client, but lots of ambition. Around the end of that month, I started to not feel so great and attributed it to the Texas heat. A pregnancy test proved otherwise. Our second son, Christopher Houston Haar, was born on April. 17th, 1995. One week after Christopher was born, Bobby had to go to the country of Kazakhstan for a five week job assignment with Price Waterhouse. Due to the limited phone service, I only spoke to him twice during the time he was gone. It was an extremely difficult time as I was having to care for a newborn and an active three year old, as well as run my own vocational rehab practice, which had grown to approximately 20 clients by that time. I had no help as both my mom and sister worked. I was completely overwhelmed. By the time Bobby returned from that trip, I thought, we're done. Bobby agreed and underwent surgery to make sure our baby making days were over. We made this decision when we were both only 30 and 31. About five years later, I knew I'd made a mistake and I begged Bobby, Bobby to have the surgery reversed. He said we had made our decision and it was permanent. It was also during this time that we felt the need to change churches, and we found a dynamic Bible uh, teaching church. For the first time in my life, I opened my Bible, and I was just pouring into God's Word. I began reading my Bible every day, every day, attending Bible studies in small groups, just trying to learn all about Jesus I could. You see, I was still seeking that joy that my friend Kim had shown me on that first day of fish camp. The Lord also put several women in my life who mentored me and encouraged me to grow in my relationship with Jesus and his promises. While studying my Bible, I ran across James 1.27, which says, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. That's it. We needed to adopt. Bobby, however, was not keen on the idea. He felt that our family was great. Uh, just the way it was. I, on the other hand, would spend hours on the Texas Adoption Resource Exchange website looking at the faces of precious children that needed parents and crying out to God that he would change Bobby's heart. Now keep in mind, this is about 2000. One spring afternoon, my young son, who was in second grade at the time, asked if he could look with me at the children that needed a family. He pointed out this sweet little boy and exclaimed, I want him to be my brother, Mommy. Chris then began asking his dad if we could adopt. Bobby continued to say that he was not open to this idea. Honestly, our life was super busy with both boys in sports and other extracurricular activities. I was continuing to run my counseling practice, and Bobby was now an extremely demanding job. This, however, did not step me and my prayer group from praying that my husband would have a change of heart. Seven years later, yes, seven years later, Bobby's heart began softening toward growing our family and became more comfortable with the idea of adoption. By the time our oldest son left for college and our youngest started high school, Bobby was all in. This was the fall of 2010. We began working with Aggieland Pregnancy Outreach in College Station. We attended all the required classes, completed mounds of paperwork, and by May of 2011, our home study was complete. We were so excited, especially when birth moms received our life book and seemed interested in us adopting their baby. In September of 2011, I began having some unusual physical symptoms and sought medical attention. On February 4th, 2011 of that same year, I was diagnosed with rectal cancer after a colonoscopy found a golf ball-sized tumor. To say I was in shock understatement, as I felt 100% healthy. I was eating right and exercising. I had also had a complete physical and blood work. My first thought after hearing this diagnosis was, can we still adopt? The thought of dying from cancer never even entered my mind. The evening that I got the diagnosis, my prayer partners organized a night of prayer with my friends. I knew after that time that this cancer diagnosis was not about me, but was about how God could get the glory no matter the outcome. The prayers that were prayed that evening were so tender and sweet. I also received a phone call from our precious pastor's wife. She prayed that I would have joy in the journey. That struck me as so strange. But I knew with God I could have joy in the journey. I also firmly believed God's word when he said, Be strong and courageous. Do not fear, for I will go with you wherever you you go. I also knew that God had plans for me, and they were good. I remember God's promises in the Old Testament to the Israelites about being their rear guard. Well, ladies, I needed him to be my rear guard because little did I know what battle was coming. After several diagnostic tests, they thought that I might have ovarian cancer too and scheduled me to have an ovary removed for staging purposes. I was told that if I indeed had ovarian cancer, it would be considered stage four with only a 6% survival rate. I don't wanna bore you with all the details of my cancer journey, but I will share a few highlights. With rectal cancer, they initially treat you with chemotherapy and radiation and then allow your body to heal before doing surgery to remove the tumor. By early January, I had completed all of the recommended treatments and was starting to feel like my old self. I drove with my youngest son, John, back to Auburn University, where he was attending college to help him set up for the beginning of his second semester of his sophomore year. He and his friend Luke wanted to take me hiking to the highest point in Alabama, Cheeha Mountain. You see, my son had taken a Facebook picture, and I wanted desperately to have my picture on that highest point in Alabama. Off we went. Essentially, my son and his uh, roommate, we began hiking, and they showed me where this rock was that I would need to go jump to. And little did I know that as I was jumping this crevice, my foot hit some water, and I ended up slipping about 30 feet down a mountain, um, essentially the only thing that stopped me from plummeting to my death was a tree branch. And but I did know that after falling down that cliff, that cancer wasn't going to kill me, and I became very confident that God had already healed me. On February 7, thousand twelve, I had the surgery to remove the tumor, and guess what? The tumor was not there. In fact, there was only an area the size of the top of a stick pin to even identify where it had been. In addition to that. The biopsy reports from the 17 lymph nodes removed revealed no evidence of disease. Praise the Lord. The only downside is that I was given an ileostomy and an accompanying bag to collect waste. The ileostomy was reversed eight weeks later. You know, I found it amazing that I could be taken apart and put back together again in function. But just like the Israelites picked up stones to remember how God had been with them as they crossed the Jordan, I too had something to remember how God had rescued me. Two beautiful abdominal scars. But don't mind the scars because they are a daily reminder reminder of just how faithful the Lord has been to me. Despite the fact that there was no active cancer cells on the pathology reports, my oncologist recommended that I continue with chemotherapy to kill any cancer cell that might be lurking in my body. I politely declined this treatment. He told me, you know you could die. I wish I told him that I was not afraid to die and fully trusted that Jesus could get rid of any cancer cell that still might be lurking in my body. He then asked, do you think Jesus gave you cancer? Smiling, I assured him that I did not think that Jesus had given me cancer. However, I did believe that he had allowed it to happen just so that I could have the opportunity to tell him about how great my Jesus is and that he was still in the healing business. Some Bible verses that really spoke to me at this time were Psalm 32. "O oh Lord, my God, I called to you for help and you healed me. Another one of my favorite verses from the season was found in Psalm thirty eleven through 12. You turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth, my ileostomy bag, and clothed me with joy that my heart may sing to you and not be silent. O oh Lord, my God, I will give you thanks forever. A girlfriend of mine commented to me, You've been given the gift of healing. Now, what are you going to do with it? My answer came swiftly. Lord willing, I wanted to adopt a child in need and continue giving Jesus all the glory. So back to our adoption journey we go. Once given the no evidence of disease clearing, we were back working with our adoption agency in College Station. In the summer of 2012, we met with a young birth mom who was considering placing her daughter up for adoption. After our meeting, she told us that she would definitely choose our family if she decided to give up her baby. The baby's due date was exactly one year after my cancer diagnosis. Bobby and I were crushed, however, when this young mom decided to keep her baby, but respected her decision. I continued to mentor her for several months and even gave her baby a one-year-old birthday party. Sadly, I lost touch with this young lady after she met a new boyfriend. After this painful experience, I started to question whether God really wanted us to adopt. I spent many hours in prayer seeking the Lord's direction and asking that He make it clear if we were to continue on this journey. But then I got this sweet Christmas card from my youngest son. Here's what it said inside. Dear Mom, the Bible is real clear. It says you must prepare your fields. With this gift, I just wanted you to know that I support you and Dad's decision to adopt. And I thought I'd help you prepare your field for what God wants to, you to do regarding adoption. I love you dearly and will respect whatever decision you make regarding adoption. Love, Chris. Inside was a gift card to Babies R Us. Later, I was attending a mom's in prayer meeting at Faith West, where my son was um, still in high school. Lark, our leader, encouraged us to seek the Lord and offer up our desires to Him. She asked us to Finish the quote from Psalm 27 4. One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek that He would grant us a child or children through adoption. While still waiting for that prayer to be answered, I read this quote. It said, While you're waiting for God to open a door, praise Him in the hallway. So, friends, I got my praise on like you've never seen. I started praying even more fervently. I specifically remember. Not just asking, but begging the Lord to take away my desire to adopt if it wasn't in his plan for our life. We continued waiting and trusting for a long, long time, like about three years. Lots of potential birth mom matches, just as many no's. While praying on February 11th of 2014, the Lord gave me the name Elisa Hope. Elisa means God's promise. I didn't have a daughter, but I had a name. The following weekend, I received a telephone call from the director of the agency we were working with in College Station. She asked me, Eva, I don't remember if we talked about this, but are you and Bobby open to adopting a child of Hispanic descent? I assured her that we were. She then said, and I quote, Well, come and get your baby and bring a car seat. She then explained that a woman from Guatemala was in the US illegally and had just had a baby that was not her husband's. This woman was extremely scared and concerned that she would be treated harshly by her husband. My first thought was, oh my goodness. You see, we had just gone on a family mission trip to the country of Guatemala and we fell in love with the people there. Because Guatemala is a closed country, meaning you can't adopt there, this would have been the only way we could have gotten a Guatemalan child. I, too, had remembered that the Lord had just given me a name. So I called my husband, who was at our ranch, and asked if he could meet us in College Station. Excitedly asked my boys, who were both home, if they wanted to drive with me to meet their sister. They couldn't wait. On our way to the hospital, we had one stop, and guess where that was? We stopped at Babies R Us and used that gift card to buy a car seat. Once we arrived at the hospital, I learned that the mother was beginning to doubt her decision to relinquish her child. There was a language barrier issue as no one from our agency spoke Spanish, but a young couple was there who helped with interpreting. As the day dragged on, it became apparent that we would not be, quote, getting a baby. After waiting several hours, we left. I was heartbroken and could not stop crying. The boys were super upset to see their mom so upset, and they just couldn't bear seeing me in so much pain. Honestly, we were all so, so broken. Later that spring, Bobby and I took a trip of a lifetime to Israel with Max Licato and Stephen Curtis Chapman. On our visit to the Sea of Galilee, we were asked to pick up a rock before boarding this impressive looking traditional boat. During Max's teaching, he encouraged us to let go and let God take care of whatever burden or issue we were carrying. Of course, my burden was adoption. We were then to take our rock and throw it into the Sea of Galilee and be releasing all of our burden to the Lord. With tears dripping down my face, I chunked that rock as hard and as fast as I could. I remember watching my rock hit the surface of the water and begin to sink. As, I su- as it sunk, I remember just completely trusting that God's plan was good, no matter the outcome. I wish I could tell you it was all sunshine, rainbow, and roses afterwards, but it wasn't. We had numerous close calls, all of which the birth moms decided to keep their child. In October la- of later that year, my mom called and said, quote, I found you some girls to adopt. I was dumbfounded. She didn't explain that she had been watching the local news when they aired this segment called Wednesday's Child, in which they showcased children available through adoption through Child Protective Services. I told her no way was I, was I going to work with the government. She really encouraged me to at least look at their video. Of course I did, and they were adorable. Their names were Emily and Annalise. I talked with Bobby after much prayer. He agreed that we should pursue working with Child Protective Services. We learned that our home study would have to be updated and that Bobby and I would need to take additional courses to be able to work with traumatized children. So while both of our boys were attending college out of state, Bobby and I were taking parenting classes. Still makes me giggle to think about that. We completed our home study and classes rather quickly and we were, and we were submitted, um, had our case studies submitted to the caseworker for both the girls. One afternoon in late November, I received a call from the caseworker who shared that she would like for us to adopt those girls that had been featured on that program. But she asked me as a counselor if I had ever worked with children who were sexually abused. I told her that even though I was a counselor, I had not. She then told me that it was doubtful her supervisor would approve us to adopt Emily and Annalise. I guess you could say after learning that good news, I was done. I mean, completely done. I remember being so angry at God not understanding his plan, verbally reminding him that I was his servant, and distracting myself with volunteering, Bible study, exercising, and traveling the globe with my husband. Bobby and I stopped attending the required monthly meetings at the adoption agency because in our minds it was over, but as God would have it, it was going be his timing was perfect. Unbeknownst to us, the director of our new adoption agency had submitted our home study for a sibling group from San Antonio, on April fourteenth, two thousand fifteen, I received a call from the re- re- director and was told, "You've been chosen." I honestly had no idea what he was talking about. He then explained that he had what he had done and had said that out of over three hundred families, caseworkers had chosen us for a sibling group of two girls, and their names were Miracle and Heaven. Seriously, Jesus, are you kidding me? <laughs> We met our miracles from heaven on May 17, 2015, at the San Antonio Zoo. After several home visits, they came to permanently live with us on August 12, 2015. They were five and two at the time. Bobby was 50, and I was 51. We officially adopted them on February 17, 2016. We named them Elisa Hope and Abigail Grace. I would not be telling the truth to say that it's been easy. They had come from a difficult situation and had all the scars to prove it. They cried consistently, used four-letter words often. They quickly trusted Bobby because, of course, they had never had a dad, but I was their third mom. They even called me a white mama for a while. But loving them as Jesus loves us has transformed them, and has transformed me too. As I was preparing this testimony, I couldn't help but see how God was loving me and guiding me from the moment I was born. For giving me the gift of a large loving family and secure home, to introducing me to Kim who planted the seed that I could have a personal relationship with him, to giving me the gift of healing and a family, su- and family support of our decision to adopt. He was there even in my sin. Yes, the sin of me trying to control my circumstances and my future. You know, I question if I would have considered adoption if Bobby and I had not taken measures to initially limit our family size. I don't know the answer, but I do know that God gives us the desires of our heart once we submit to him. I also learned that his timing is perfect, and sometimes that requires that we wait patiently for him to work out all things together for his good and trust him 100% with the outcome. Thank you, ladies.
0: You know, Katie, you mentioned earlier that I have adopted internationally. And so this is a story that's close to my heart. And we adopted from China and the process was about 18 months start to finish. And I remember it feeling like an eternity. And their process went on for years and years and years with seven plus failed adoptions. And I just can't imagine the perseverance. And when we were talking about it, and you can hear in her story, God just had them continue on this path and I I asked her later I said did you how did you not quit and she said God just wouldn't let me she said I just knew that this was his path for us and as painful as it was at times God would not let me stop
3: every step it just seemed that she was going deeper and deeper with her relationship of God after all those years just every step to me seemed like
0: another step in her relationship
2: as he continued to pursue her but but also what i got from eva was just her movement from rules to relationship i think we can all relate to trying to be the good girl i was the good girl Mm -hmm. and and i and i was the good girl but i was judgmental i was like oh ding 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 (laughs) um and so just seeing her walk through moving
1: towards relationship with christ and when
2: she finally gave up god showed up well that
1: it's almost the, as the adoption process mm-hmm. kept going, he just kept working on her yeah. in that relationship, yeah. and I just have to tell you I mean I don't know if I could have persevered that long I know I mean I, I think I would have been saying maybe he I think he's saying no i think right. he's saying, right I mean you know yeah. just because yeah. and she closed. said they were fifty and fifty one and as someone who's approaching fifty, I don't know if I could do it right. you know, and so um anyway I, I loved how she just showed us just glimpses of what true perseverance looks like
0: and you know it's it, the bible says you know to take care of widows and orphans and what to me spoke so much is that she reaches the age of 50 and very easily they could have given up and Absolutely. said we're too old let's foster older children let's mm-hmm. let's mm-hmm. support other families that are adopting financially there's many many ways to help all of which are amazing but they continued on this path of bringing young children into their home at at their age, is because she was to listening me.
1: to the Lord and and following His guidance, you know, really digging into Him, and it goes back to what you were saying, Lindy, is going into a relationship and not rules.
0: And I think that that shows that it was all through Christ.
3: I don't think any of us could do that on our own.
0: No, no, that that was not for her. That <laughs> was not for her. Thank you so much, Eva, for sharing your story. And we want y'all to know that we are going to take a summer break from the podcast. We are still going to be working behind the scenes on getting Discover Your Story Bible Study available for everyone this August and lots of other fun and exciting things coming with Storytellers. But really what we want you to do is partner with us in praying. We are doing a 40-day prayer challenge and we are inviting you to join us. So if you'll go to the website to storytellerslive.org and sign up for our email list, we will be emailing out every week seven things you can pray for, and we'll all be praying together. You know, at Storytellers, we don't just want to do everything that comes our way. We want to do its best, and we want to go right where God is leading us. And we would love for you to pray with us. We're going to be praying for you. We're going to be praying for our upcoming stories, and really just to see where God has us going. And so again, you can sign up on our email list on our website at storytellerslive.org. We will still be on social media this summer and we'll be putting some of our prayer points there um, just once a week. And so you can find us at Storytellers Live Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. And we can't wait for y'all to join us in that. You can still listen to older stories. Maybe there's some you've missed and you can share them with your friends and we will talk to you on the podcast this fall. Have a great summer. Bye.